This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. I meet a lot of people who don't want to live. Uh, they say, Doc, I want to die. And I have to sort of say something to them. And, and I'm, I'm thinking at the end of the day, why do I want to live? And my conclusion so far has been because living feels good. Hello and welcome to the Llama podcast. I'm Peter Bowes and Llama Live Long and Master Aging is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Now, a lifestyle of permanent calorie restriction is not for everyone, just as continuously monitoring all of your food on a daily basis would be untenable for the vast majority of people. Others find it very easy to do. And today I've come to Newport Beach in California to meet a man who does just that. Dr. Andreas Baskis is a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, and a long-time researcher and self-experimenter into the science behind human longevity. Dr. Baskis, welcome to the Lama Podcast. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure. Why a self-experimenter? Why do you do this? I wanted to know that it's possible to reduce cholesterol level by simply dieting. That all when it started uh, my experiment. Was there a reason? Did you have elevated cholesterol? I had uh, about 10 years ago, I think I had uh, all the conditions of a middle-aged man who has a high-pressure work. I had elevated blood pressure. I had elevated cholesterol. I would get admitted to a hospital from time to time because of some kind of undefined heart conditions, irregular rhythm. I would be subjected to some kind of procedures and investigations, and uh, and then I would go back to work. And what age were you at this stage? I was uh, 10 years ago. I was about 50, 55. So you're 65 now. I'm 65 right now. And when you were having these problems, you were a working GP, a working doctor? I was working as a uh, a staff uh, psychiatrist at the VA Medical Center and also was a professor of psychiatry at UC Irvine. So I've been very busy. I I I was running a, a research laboratory, a neuroscience research laboratory. I was running clinical trials program. I was seeing patients. I was running memory clinic. I was teaching students and residents. There was plenty to do. As a doctor, you didn't really realize what the problem was, and you felt you needed to take something that was kind of out of the box. You need to try something that was different to get these medical conditions under control? There was an attempt, uh, since this blood pressure would occasionally pop up, elevated, and there was a, my primary care doc would prescribe this medication or that medication. I didn't feel great while taking them. It just was very unpleasant. So I thought that I should do something different, perhaps. And uh, one, of, uh, one of the experiments that came to my mind was the idea to experiment with cholesterol level. And uh, the perception in the medical community uh, and in the, in the lay community was that it, it's probably not possible to really lower your blood cholesterol by simply dieting because it's something very complex. That it comes from 
from somewhere else. It has just nothing to do with anything, and you have to take statins. That there's a, a genetic component to it. it, it there, is a, there is a genetic component, perhaps, and I don't know what other, maybe it's a commercial component as well somewhere there. Uh, there are several components. So a commercial uh, component. A what commercial component. Well, statins is uh, statins are very, very successful drugs, and uh, there's lots of them being sold and prescribed uh, very often. So you're saying you're suggesting perhaps that the health industry wants your uh, blood cholesterol to remain high? Uh, no, I think the health industry wants to lower a blood cholesterol, but I think they're proposing one method versus the other method. Mm a method that relies on pharmaceuticals rather than the method that relies on some simple measures like not eating that much. So you tried caloric restriction. Just before we talk about that in detail, let's just quickly talk about what you do now and you work. You work as a professor and still as a psychiatrist? At this point, I work as a psychiatrist. I I have a a private practice and I also work for a, a local government where I treat people who are severely mentally ill. I enjoyed both of these uh, occupations. I also do, uh, uh, I'm involved in education. I, my, most, my major interest at this point is uh, human genetics, and I am a, a vice president of uh, World Association of Genomic Medicine. It's uh, the entity that is still new and is based in Spain. I collaborate uh, with, with uh, people who set it up. And my major interest is in educate uh, people about what uh, modern science can do and how in, and i would like to bring as much as possible of a, of a modern science achievements into the medical practice because my feeling is that the medical practice is lagging behind from the science and the association that you mentioned and the collaborations uh, is there an an organization be, behind this or is this uh, a group of Individuals. It's a it's a group of individuals. It doesn't really have anything to do with caloric restriction, but it has to do of uh, implementing uh, genomics in clinical practice and educating physicians about how to do that. And I'm very excited and passionate about that. Okay, so let's talk about your own self-experimentation. It, it dawned on you that you needed to do something, and, and you wanted to try and look at caloric restriction, and clearly there is a lot of evidence that the, the positive impact of a caloric restriction can be wi- quite wide-ranging in terms of the biomarkers that it has a, an effect on. So what was your experience? Well, I, I reviewed the literature and discovered that uh, well, it's a great method. It seems like it's... Uh, it improves all kinds of parameters and, and prolongs life as a bonus. Why not try it? And I immediately embarked in a, with, a, with a lot of force on it. And in three, about three months, I lost 30 pounds of weight, which was way too, too fast. Uh, it was not good. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and just to put this into perspective, what did you go from and two in terms of caloric intake? Uh, I do not know what my caloric intake was. I know that my weight was about 185 pounds at that time, uh, which I was, I, I never looked really overweight. I, I look normal. My, my height is uh, 5'11", and I was a man of 185 pounds. It's quite unremarkable, really. Which is probably, I'm just kind of guessing here, a BMI of about maybe 26? Something like that, yeah. And uh, and then I, my weight dropped over these three months uh, by 30 pounds to 155 pounds. And it, it remains at that level since then. 
with some uh, minor uh, flares, and those usually associated with travel, travel to Europe or to Asia, and uh, and uh, it kind of peaks uh, briefly. So in those early days when you achieved this significant weight loss, did you have a daily goal in terms of caloric intake? I, um, I used uh, what is called a twin, uh, twin model uh, of caloric restriction. Uh, for those who are interested, you can Google it and uh, ask for twin model of caloric restriction. And that is a method uh, to calculate the degree of caloric restriction based on your uh, imaginary twin who would remain non-restricted. So uh, based on this model, I calculated my caloric intake, which I figured out should be about 1,600, 1,700 calories. That would bring about 27% of caloric restriction uh, compared to my imaginary twin who would remain unrestricted. I also did some... uh, some uh, measurements, uh, I measured my basic, basic metabolic rate. Uh, there is another model uh, which uh, allows to measure basic metabolic rate. And that is, for those who are not familiar, this is a, the amount of calories that a person needs just to be alive. Just to lie in bed. Just to lie in bed, not to do anything, just barely breathe and not even think. Just so little energy expenditure. So, Thinking can burn calories. Yes. So, so my, my basic metabolic rate was 1,335 or so. And I think there's a formula that allows... It's, it's also part of this basic uh, the meta, uh, the imaginary twin model. So if you know that data, you can plug it in and it makes calculations more accurate. So in order to achieve this, what did you change in your diet? Uh, basically, I stopped eating uh, as much. And uh, I just ate less. Uh, and uh, So I, the same foods, same types same of foods, food mixture of meats and vegetables? Yes, I eat everything. Uh, uh, I, later on, I, I, became, uh, I started reading more about it, and I became aware that there are some uh, perils of malnutrition. And in order to avoid those perils, uh, it is important to uh, monitor what comes in. And for this, I use a very simple software it's called chronometer. Uh, it's available for free or for some very small amount of money uh, available online. It's a great software. I, I, I really like it. Mm. Actually, I've used that. because I've, I've experimented to a point with this and used the same software, and, and it gives you in some meticulous detail, if, as long as you input the correct data, you have to and that's the, crucial. Yeah, it also allows to read barcodes, you know. So you can, the, the inputting data is a, is a nuisance, of course. It, it annoys everyone, including my family. We <laughs> couldn't stand it. <laughs> but, uh, but that's sort of one way to deal with it. Um, and, and when we're talking about inputting data, you are talking about cataloging everything that you eat in terms of portion size, uh, what it is, yes, and, and so that you, or at least the software, can calculate what you're eating on a daily basis. Right, right. Yeah, I, you can actually, see why that will become annoying to people around uh, you. To be, it's a social, there's human interactions, human social interactions are so much are based about about food and eating that it, uh, it really throws in a monkey wrench when somebody starts very to entering some kind of calories, every morsel of meat. But that's how you can do it. Otherwise, it's a little bit difficult. Do you do it on your phone? I, I have it on my phone. I have it on all my phones. And uh, 
And I have a little scale. I can I can show you the scale. And uh, I just noticed it in your kitchen. This is a, this is more than your average kitchen scale. Yeah, it's it's digital scale. It gives you several different uh, ways uh, of measurement in grams and in ounces. It's even possible to to reconfigure it and so that it would give you caloric contents right away. It has some kind of database in it, uh, which I don't use, but uh, the, the grams or ounces are fine. So you lost all of the weight. What happened to your cholesterol? Oh, the cholesterol went tumbling down. The cholesterol was, at, at the time when I, uh, I, I started, it was, I think it was 230, and it went to 156. I, this I think is total cholesterol. Total cholesterol, yeah. And I, I think it, it subsequently came, came back up. Uh, and I know that my most latest measurement was 199. So it's, Which is pretty much it's optimum. Kind of, it's optimum. It's within the normal limits. Uh, not this, this idea about... Uh, it's a very strange because if you ask someone, say, oh, my cholesterol is very high. Okay, what do what you want it to be? What is the lowest healthy level of cholesterol? And nobody knows the answer. To well, it's, it's a matter of much debate, of course, isn't it, in yeah, terms of right, what, what right, is yeah, truly yeah, a bad cholesterol, cholesterol. level. And, and certainly in the last few years, yeah. the, the understanding of that yeah. has changed significantly. That's right. And I know that uh, for, from the point of view of mental health, we're dealing with individuals with, uh, uh, who have a severe mental illness, uh, we, there is enough data to show that uh, lowering cholesterol, uh, for example, of patients with schizophrenia, worsens their cognitive uh, in, uh, cognitive performance quite significantly. I actually we did a study in my in my lab when I was still in uh, working at, uh, at the UCI. We did a study proposing that we wanted to to advance the theory that. The actions of modern antipsychotic drugs, such as olanzapine, is probably the worst offender that increases cholesterol, are based or contingent on them being able to increase cholesterol. And the reason for that is the theory that we were advancing was that the increased cholesterol improves what's called membrane fluidity, so that nerve cell membranes, which consist primarily of cholesterol, they become kind of more fluid. And all the proteins, receptors, and various channels that are embedded in the membrane, they can easily move and slide within this membrane and connect with each other the way they should be connecting rather than being disconnected as as what may be happening in some mental illness. What about other biomarkers? Did you take any other before and after, or at least uh, post-caloric restriction lifestyle to determine whether they changed? I didn't do any kind of, of like, genetic markers. I uh, know that my blood pressure... I was wondering about that. Yeah, yeah. blood pressure, if we consider that as a marker, it uh, it became quite normal, actually. It uh, and it was a little elevated? It was slightly elevated. It never reached really very high occasionally, but overall it used to be like 144, maybe some 150. But uh, now and it just it, uh, somewhere between 100 and 120 something. It's my systolic blood pressure. Over 80? Uh, uh, yeah, diastolic. My diastolic blood pressure is. Sort of, I would wish I could be lower, but it's somewhere in 80s. 
110-ish over 80, 80 is pretty yeah. good. Right. So this has now been about 10 years, you say? Been about 10 years. And has it become easier? I wouldn't say that it became easier, but I, I would say that I became maybe somewhat a little bit more like a daisical and uh, not really willing to follow my routine as strictly as I did uh, initially. But one, one thing that I noticed is that if my weight incidentally climbs up, uh, usually due to a foreign travel, it's becoming much more difficult to drop it down. It takes more time to drop it down. And there could be several reasons for that. One of the reasons is actually an interesting reason, and uh, it has to do with, uh, with a general uh, weight loss uh, uh, interest in the, in the larger community. And I, I want to say that, uh, and I think very many caloric restriction, people who study caloric restriction, they, they, they try to stress that caloric restriction is not a tool to lose weight. It's a tool to prolong life and stay healthy. Weight loss is a, a side effect. It's actually quite undesirable side effect, but, but that's how it is. But there is a larger community out there who want to lose weight. And, uh, and in that context, somewhere these two things do come together because there are so many, so many diets that are based on restricting calories. And there is an interesting uh, uh, genetic underpinning, uh, in, uh, which I, I think uh, should uh, help for those who are trying hard to lose weight and fail. Uh, there is a, a genetic mutation in a gene known as CLOCK. Uh, CLOCK is an acronym that stands for Circadian Locomotor Output Cycles Kaput. And it's uh, one of the major regulators of cycles in a human uh, and in some other animals. And it also regulates the cycles through regulating metabolism. And it turns out that there is a mutation in that gene that occurs fairly commonly uh, that an individual who carries this mutation has hard time of losing weight by restricting calories. They have to do something else. Nothing as simple as this. Nothing as simple. <laughs> <laughs> but you say the, the main point for most people that enter into long-term caloric restriction is not weight loss. And, and I get that, that it is a much bigger goal, and that is uh, greater longevity, living long and, and healthy. And healthier. Specifically healthier. Your initial motivation was, was your cholesterol, and the side effect was, was obviously losing weight. Losing. But where is your mindset now over longevity and living that long, healthy life? That is presumably your key motivator. Uh, well, uh, looking, looking back, and I, and I always uh, try to keep myself updated on the literature and studies of uh, caloric restriction, and uh, uh, it's a little bit, it still remains unclear that it works in humans, first of all. It's, it's very well known that it works in most animals, but it's not clear that it works in humans. In terms of extending life. It's extending life. However, it seems that most people now agree and that is supported by the, the primate studies, that caloric restriction does mitigate effects of aging-related diseases and kind of eliminates them out of it, takes them out of the picture. And those are two diseases, that, and one is a type 2 diabetes, and second is cancer. And, and my motivation is now to just avoid these two diseases 
even if, it, if my life does not get prolonged that much. And that is the point for a lot of people, that it's not necessarily about significant life extension. It's about living to be, yes, maybe very old, but then dying quickly of something else, or let's say just old age, but not the period of suffering that you get from cancer or diabetes or heart-related uh, conditions. Right. Dealing with chronic illnesses is very difficult. It puts a normal toll on individuals. And I, I'm, a, I'm a psychiatrist, and I, I always I, I worked with older people who have lots of chronic illnesses. It's difficult. Uh, so it, if one could avoid them, it's great. What about the people around you? You say it's difficult socially to do what you do, to measure foods, to go for dinner, to maybe go on vacation, to travel and, and maintain this kind of lifestyle. Have the people around you grown into it with you, even if they don't take part in it? Well, my family kind of got used to it, so they make fun of me. And, uh, but they don't do it. They, they don't do it, no. No, I think we, we don't overeat here. Uh, the kids are... Uh, you know, they eat everything, but the caloric restriction, at least based on the primate studies, do not seem to be beneficial to young people. That it seems that it's if started later in life, it works better than when it was if it was started early in life. And perhaps we should say at this point, and clearly you are a doctor, you know what you're getting into when you do something like this. Caloric restriction, indeed any significant change of your diet, isn't recommended for anyone unless you consult your doctor first. It can be, as you say, it can be harmful to young people, it can be harmful to old people, it can be harmful to people who have different medical conditions, nursing mothers. There's a long list of reasons why you shouldn't practice caloric restriction, but, but the key is to speak to your doctor first. It would be probably a good idea. Not all doctors like it, and uh, sometimes they just poo-poo you, you say, you know, just don't kind of get into the sort of quackery or something. Well, it does have that image, doesn't it? Uh, probably. I, I don't know. <laughs> and I don't say that necessarily cynically because I've read the science and I've experimented to some extent myself. I understand the potential benefits. Right. But, you know, you know speaking about benefits, it's always worth of, uh, mentioning side effects. And I, and I mentioned the weight loss. You know, why weight loss is a side effect? It gives you, as a, at a minimum, it probably is associated with cold intolerance. And I think this is one of the side effects that I suffered most. Even in Southern California, sometimes the cold gets into your body so bad that you just cannot warm up. Well, that's an interesting point. Now, is that because it's, it's essentially knocking back your immune system? I don't know. They, my immune system seems to be okay. Just getting back to biomarkers, I probably should have mentioned that you know I monitored my white blood cell count, and it's it's been low, but not below the normal uh, normal margin. Would it be better if it was higher? I don't know. I don't know. I I spoke with some uh, physicians who uh, practice integ integrative medicine, and they pointed out that lower is better, as it would reflect of a lower inflammation taking place in the body, uh, which is the low-grade inflammation is uh, often considered by a culprit of very many illnesses these days. Now, what about exercising during a regime like this, which is, a, for you, a permanent regime? And you were telling me before we started to record the podcast that you do a lot of exercise, you enjoy mountain biking. How can you do that 
on a limited number of calories or do you modify your diet on those days? I have to eat more. There is no way around it. I, if I go mountain biking and I pedal up in a, up a mountain at two, two kilometer altitude and, uh, in the thin air and I pedal up and I pedal down in one hour I can burn 1,000 calories very easily and I just wouldn't be able to live. It's, uh, if you have no, no body fat or very little body fat and, and no resources, uh, so you just have to eat. Uh, there's no way around it. So it's really about net intake of calories. It's a net intake, yeah. What about muscle and, and physical strength? Because I think everyone acknowledges that as you get older, yeah. that's extremely important that you maintain as, as far as possible physical strength and, yeah. and, and indeed practice some degree of weightlifting to, to maintain that yeah. strength. Yeah, I do that regularly. I, I actually, I go to the gym and I lift weights. I do not think that my strength is dropping in any way. I do not monitor it very strictly, but I enter the weights that I lift, and they do not seem to be going down. They, they may be slightly going up if I exercise very, very regularly. Can you give me uh, just a, as a, an example, a sample week in terms of what you do physically, what, what your exercise regime is? Before I dislocated my shoulder, <laughs> after falling off a mountain bike, <laughs> you weren't hungry at the time. Huh? Yeah, I uh, I would uh, go mountain biking at least uh, two days a week, and I would go to the uh, local gym to for uh, primarily isometric exercise about at least two three times a week. So that's so, a, a so, pretty so significant, the most desirable. And give me an example of a typical day of food. What, what kinds of foods and what quantities do you eat? For breakfast, I eat about 500 calories. And those include uh, coffee, milk, uh, an ounce of salami, some bread, phage, uh, yogurt, strawberries, and uh, some nuts. For lunch, it varies. My favorite is uh, going to a pokey place uh, near uh, one of my workplaces, where I uh, just eat raw fish. With, uh, with some vegetables. Uh, it tastes quite good. Uh, and, uh, and for dinner, I basically eat everything. I, I eat meat. Uh, I, I, eat, I eat a lot of fish. We, we don't eat that much of a red meat uh, here in this, but uh, we eat uh, lots of fish. I do not eat much of uh, potatoes or rice, but I eat more of uh, lentils or some kind of other similar Product. So it's verging on being almost a, a pescatarian diet. You eat a, a little bit of red meat, but not that, much. Yeah, but I do not exclude meat. It's an average diet. There's nothing particularly special about it apart from clearly portion control. Portion control, that's right. And I, I need to take some supplements uh, because the monitoring chronometer allows you to very quickly notice if there are any deficits uh, in the nutrients. For example, I, I, I'm... I would be constantly short of magnesium, uh, so I do take uh, magnesium supplements. I also take iodine supplements, and that's the reason because I do not add them extra salt. So since lots of our iodine come from salt, which is iodinated here, uh, there's a possibility that I do not get enough salt, uh, enough iodine, so I added it. I add I add some folate uh, because it also seems like it's not enough. It's maybe not enough, or maybe it's not correctly entered, because uh, the, very many of our foods are fortified with folate. Uh, however, the the chronometer 
may not always fully recognize that. And I keep mentioning calories. Are calories the key number that you follow every day? Or do you take notice equally to proteins and carbohydrates and fats and, and the proportions? No, I do not. I, I do not want to eat too much carbohydrates. I think it just would be like empty calories. And especially high sugar. High, yeah, foods. high sugar, like, uh, like for example, uh, the rice. Is this a, a lifestyle for you, do you think, until the day you die? <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I would like to. I think that in retrospect, when I think about it, uh, and I, and I, so I think about my life and what kind of decisions I made and which ones were good and which ones were not so good. I think this one probably was one of the best decisions I ever made. I think it was a great decision. I think, uh, uh, I, I think it was uh, really this uh, switching to this low-calorie diet helped me to maintain a very, always very high energy level. I sleep very little. Uh, my, my mind is usually clear. Uh, and, and let me just uh, probe into those two issues. I know they're hugely important to a lot of people, yeah. and to me as well. Sleep. You say you sleep very little. I sleep little. Yeah. I do not know How why. How little? I, I sleep about five hours, usually six on a, on a better day. But I start early. Because often at the end of the day, I, I feel there's some fatigue. If you don't have very many calories, you do eventually kind of run out of Flight steam. Out. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I often kind of start uh, sleeping, uh, go to bed a little bit, not very late. And uh, what, what time? It's usually about 11, 10, sometimes 10. Uh, but then by That's about, not particularly early either. No, but by about 4 or 5, I'm done. And you you feel refreshed, and you, I feel is, is it a case of not being able to sleep any longer? No. You wake up and you are that, wide awake. Absolutely wide awake. My my sleep is of a very good quality. Uh, I do not suffer of any kind of sleep uh, problem. You don't wake up, no, at all, or get up during the night. No, it's a continuous. No, it's just sleep. like a tunnel. You close your eyes and then you open them, it's, and it's good. It's the next day, solid sleep. Yeah. It's, uh, and that was, uh, and I think that was, uh, I would like to attribute that to the caloric restriction-based lifestyle because I did not quite have that before. And you're not unusual in that, and especially for people over 60, certainly over sleep 60. is a is a huge issue. Sleep and, and becomes fragmented. Times, yeah, yeah. It's called sleep fragmentation. I, yeah, that often happens. That's interesting. That aspect of your life has changed, and presumably... Well, it's difficult to say categorically it's related to the diet, but it's difficult adding up to two and two, it, it would suggest that it might have something to do with it. Right. It's difficult to really uh, pin down what is the factor here. Uh, but I, I, I think that overall it was a good decision, and uh, I think I, I would like to continue. And other reasons for continuing it as you get older? Again, I, as I mentioned, uh, avoiding uh, diabetes uh, and avoiding uh, cancer. I, I, have a, I have a history of cancer. Uh, 20 years ago, I, I, I don't know, probably fortunate that it was found and removed surgically. And uh, looking at my uh, DNA, I can see all kinds of potential, very kind of questionable mutations that I would prefer not to have. But I have to somehow... Uh, deal with them. And, uh, and I think that uh, if it is uh, possible to minimize the 
chances of developing cancer, I think, and that caloric restriction helps to achieve that, I think I would continue. The other benefit that you mentioned that, again, I can... I understand what you're saying because I've experienced it with uh, certainly fasting. Is the mental alertness that you feel when you are reducing your calories? Can you describe that effect as you understand it? I, I don't know how to describe it. I, I just uh, most of the time, as uh, I do not really have any difficulty with uh, my thinking or remembering or uh, or processing information. I do not know how much caloric restriction is contributing to this, but I can tell uh, for those who are interested about one of my uh, one clinical interest, which is vascular dementia. I studied dementia uh, with a lot of interest. I studied Alzheimer's. I did Alzheimer's clinical trials. I studied uh, Lewy body dementia, and I published on it. I studied frontotemporal dementia. Recently, we published a very interesting case. But my, my interest is on vascular dementia lately for the last few years. And, and people often forget it, but that's the only di one dementia that could be actually treated or at least uh, controlled. And the reason for that is that the, that the vascular dementia, the, the memory, the planning, execution of various cognitive tasks is associated with how much blood pressure is elevated. And actually, it was a very good study done in, in UK, which analyzed blood pressure in about 1 million participants and, and compared that with their cognitive performance. And the results are just absolutely amazing. Every millimeter in increase in blood pressure correlates like 99% with a drop in cognitive performance. That's fascinating. Yeah, it is. So I, I could maybe attribute that to, to the, the mental clarity that my blood pressure remains pretty low. Let me ask you a, maybe a bigger question. As you grow older and as you think about your longevity, what is your main motivation why would anyone want to, and maybe it's obvious, it seems obvious to me, but why would you aspire to living a very long life? Right. It's a, it's a very fundamental question of human existence, and I, I could probably rephrase it by saying, why do we want to live? Right. And I, and, and I, I thought about it, and, and I, I meet a lot of people who don't want to live. Uh, they say, Doc, I want to die. And I have to sort of say something to them, and, and I'm, I'm thinking at the end of the day, why do I want to live? And my conclusion so far has been because living feels good. And if it doesn't feel good, you don't want to live. And the alternative doesn't seem too yeah, exciting to me. That's right. So, so you live, and, and it feels good. And, so, and I think it feels better if you are healthy, because if you have chronic illness, it doesn't feel that great. And does it have something to do with just doing things out there in that great world of ours that you haven't managed to achieve in your 65 years so far? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of things to do. I'm, I'm a, a scientist, so I'm very much interested in, in this overwhelming amount of information that is now being generated. And I just don't know even how to absorb it. Uh, and uh, and so I'm I'm trying to develop tools how to how to absorb it, and uh, I make apps, for example, 
to help doctors to integrate the information that is being generated out there. So I think there's lots of interesting things that can be done. Which is a, a huge issue, isn't it? And, and that is understanding the information that is out there, not just for, for doctors, but for the rest of us, for the rest of us. who don't have a, a medical training, who don't yeah. have a necessarily a scientific background right. and can understand the papers, the peer-reviewed papers that, that come out. Most people get their information perhaps from the internet. I think that's, that's probably right. the number one source newspaper stories, magazines, wherever it is. And that information is often very, very confusing. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, often it's ina- inaccurate. <laughs> and, in- and inaccurate, yeah. <laughs> yes, but, uh, but this podcast is very accurate. <laughs> well, I hope so. Well, look, on that note, thank you for saying that. It's, it's been really fascinating, really good. And maybe we can meet again at some point in the future and see how your, uh, your what, tenure now existence on caloric restriction is is benefiting you in the future all right thank you very much indeed thank you good to see you and that is it for this episode of the llama podcast and a reminder just once again if you are considering a change in your diet any regime that involves uh, fasting or caloric restriction as we've been talking about today you should first of all consult your doctor i would like to hear from you what you think of this conversation or others that we have in the future maybe you have suggestions for guests that we can talk to go to our website llamapodcast.com you can hear us on various podcasting platforms from itunes to tune in google play music and you can follow us on facebook and twitter at llama podcast thanks for listening FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rud. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibers that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.